Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. Hey, it is it is great to be launching this new series. Hey, by the way, there's invitation cards in the back, or you can online. Man, invite somebody for this journey because it it it's encouraging. I'll just tell you, it's an encouraging series, or it ought to be. We're we're looking at the Book of Esther, ten chapters, in in the Old Testament, and uh, it, it, we're we're just going to take a look for three weeks at this. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do: along the way, read these ten chapters. Did you know if you read a chapter a day, this is about three week series. Even if you miss a couple days, you're going to read the whole Book of Esther. What an accomplishment it'll feel like! But I believe. As you read it, God's going to begin to show you things in addition to what you're hearing here on Sunday morning, maybe even inspire you to take some steps forward, but I believe God's going to speak to you. So I encourage you, read the book of Esther as we go along, chapter day, and because uh, we're not going to be able to cover it all. But we're going to take a look at a, a hero. We're, we're going to take a look at a people who are about to be annihilated, and we're going to look at what it takes to make a difference in the world. Now, as we take a look at the book of Esther, one thing you might you might question, where's God in all this? Because as you look at the book of Esther, in all 10 chapters, the name of God is not mentioned once. Like, in fact, some theologians along in the, the centuries have wanted to take the book of Esther out of the Bible because it's like, it doesn't mention God. How can this fit? And yet, as you begin to look at the story of Esther, you're going to see God's provision in his hand in every verse on every page. In a sense, it's almost like a photo negative. You know, in a photo negative, the surroundings are highlighted, and you, you don't see the main image, but because if the surroundings are highlighted enough, you actually, it draws attention to what's not there. And I believe that's the book of Esther. It's a photo negative that actually, in a special way, highlights that God is sovereign, that he is in control. Because this is what God says about himself. He says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. See, God is sovereign. He is in control of all events. And sometimes we look out at life, and we say, who's running this thing? Like, is anybody pulling the strings? Is anybody charting a course? What's going on? And God wants you to know he's weaving everything together. He's charting a course. He's setting things that you don't see. He's moving in ways you can't comprehend to accomplish his purpose. Now, it's a mystery how it all works together because God in his sovereignty, being master over everything, has chosen in his sovereignty to give you and I free will. Like we get to make some choices in life, and they're not just false choices. I believe they actually change things. And so how does that happen and God still be sovereign. Like, he still run everything, and he accomplish all that he pleases. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How does those two things go together? The answer is, that's above my pay grade. It's really above yours. So I don't understand. I do know what God says is that we are to plan. We're to use this head and this heart that he's given us. We're to, we're to investigate the scriptures, and we're to take steps. We're to plan. We're to move in our lives. We're to make choices. But we're also to trust that God will move in ways we don't understand. And no matter what we do, somehow, even as we choose things, and, and, it, and it has real meaning, it has real purpose, at the same time, God is orchestrating something in a bigger way. And you've got to remember, there are, 
are other people making choices, not just you and I. And some of the choices go against what we're trying to accomplish. How does God work in all that? It is fascinating. Someday, I'm, that's maybe the question I want to ask God. Everybody, what, what are you going to ask God when you get to heaven? You heard, ever been asked that? Might be, how did, our, how did me get to choose things? You, you, and your, you and your sovereignty gave me a choice, gave me some choices on some things. Not everything, but on some things. How did that work with your, you're in complete control and you're going to accomplish your purpose? I, I don't totally know it all. I don't understand it all, but I know God is good. I know he's going to accomplish his purpose, and we see that in this book in Esther. God is working it for good. In fact, he says this. He says, we know that in all things, Paul says, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, God is going to work things that come out the best, like, like the best outcome for our lives, the best outcome for his people. He's going to work that in spite of our choices. And, and yet, I don't think he overrules our choices, and yet he still moves. I, I don't understand it all. Maybe you do, and that's great. I'd, I'd like to know after service if you, if you have that one, you have the answer to that one. But here's the question I want us to really wrestle with as we get into this, into this series. Do you trust God to steer your life according to his ultimate purpose? See, you, you, you have choices, and, and, and you can try to overrule God, you could try to do your own thing, but do you really trust God when you make a choice and yet somehow it ends up, seems like you're moving this direction? Are you okay with that? Will you worship him and trust his plan over your own? And do you trust him to work even when people are working against you? Even when it's not going the way you want? Even when people are making choices that impact you in a negative way, do you trust that God is fighting for you? Do you trust that he's working all things for good? That is a question we all have to face because otherwise we don't learn the lesson. We, 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 we don't change. We don't move the way God wants us to be moved when we look at the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther covers a 12-year period. Here's what's happened. The Israelites, uh, the people of God, the Jewish people have been taken from their homeland. They're exiles in a foreign land. They're in Persia. That's in Iran today. That, that's what's happened. And some of the remnant has been allowed to go back to Jerusalem back to the temple, back to the land, but Esther stays. She stays, and she's with, her, she's with her uncle, Mordecai. Now, there are four players I want us to, like, focus in on as you read through this. There's Xerxes. Xerxes is the ruler. He's the king of Persia. Like, there hasn't been a bigger kingdom in the world up to that point. Like, he is powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's an angry kind of guy. Um, He's, he's self-seeking, like, like he's looking for his own pleasure. He uses his power to get what he wants. He's smart, though. He is a smart guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have accomplished and moved and been able to gather those kind of people together. And so that's who Xerxes is, kind of this confused, self-focused king. And then, and then you have Haman. Haman is, he, he, he's like that guy that hangs on. And he rides the coattails of somebody in power, and he uses whatever he can for his own purpose. That's Haman. Haman wants to annihilate the Jewish people. He's got a grudge against them. He wants, I don't know what, it, what the whole history is, but he hates the Jews. And so he's using his relationship with the king to try to kill off the Jews. And he wants glory, prestige, and power, and he doesn't care who he walks on to get there. That's Haman. He'll do whatever it takes to get his way. Now there are two others. That's the Persian group. Then you got 
the Jewish group. You've got Esther. Esther is this young lady, and she's got an, an uncle named Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. He's been part of this um, ex, you know, this group that's, they call it the diaspora, but he's been moved out of Jerusalem. Now he's living in, in this Persia. And he's, he's got this niece named Esther who, who doesn't have, have anybody. And he's like Mr. Miyagi. Cruddy kid. That's who he is to her. We'll, we'll dig into that more. So then you got Esther. Esther's this young child. She's got nothing. She's the epitome of weak. She's in a male-dominated world. She's young. She's a refugee. She's an immigrant. All the structure, anything, the foundation that could have helped her is gone. It's been eroded from her life. And yet somehow God positions her, this person who has absolutely nothing, to save the Jewish people. Isn't that like God? See, this book in part is to tell the Israelite people, hey, the reason you celebrate the festival of Purim each year is to celebrate how God used Esther to, to save the Jewish people from being killed off the face of the earth, God's people. It's, it's almost like Passover, a different sense of Passover, where you celebrate Passover because the Israelites were saved from the Egyptians, right? And they, 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 were, they were brought out of Egypt and in the oppression and, and given freedom. They, they celebrate Passover. This is why you celebrate this is why you celebrate Purim. And, and so, in its essence, the book of Esther has that purpose as well. And so, I want us to take a look at how God works in the world, how God wants to work through you. So, so turn with me, if you would, Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew from the, of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. It's important to know where you come from. Who had been carried into exile. Like, this wasn't carried as, yeah, you didn't want to go, but you got carried. He got carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. It says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother, this young woman who was also known as Esther. So Hadassah is her Hebrew name. Had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her mother and father died. So there's two things I want us to see as we, as we launch into this series. There's two things I want to see from this passage today. Esther was an unlikely hero. She was an unlikely hero. There's a lot of reasons. One is where she came from and, and all that had happened to her, but like she had no power base, and she'd experienced the kind of things that just leave you crushed for life. She's pulled from her country. She's an immigrant. She's a refugee. Just think about this. If you were taken from the United States and thrown into a foreign country that wasn't favorable to you, that wanted to annihilate your people, whoever they are. Just imagine how isolating, how weak you would feel, how fearful, how, like, I don't even have a foundation to move from. That, that's where she's at. That's what her people are. Now she's without mother and father. Just imagine you're an orphan. Not only are you, are you orphaned from your country, but now you're orphaned from your family. You, 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 you've got this 
Your mother and father's gone. She's captive. She can't do what she wants to do. We talk about freedom a lot, but in some ways, no one has ultimate freedom. I don't care if you live in the United States or if you, you don't have ultimate freedom. There's always some constrictors around your life. She had all kinds. She was threatened because of who she was. She was, she was a female in a male-dominated world. In those days, women were property. They didn't have rights. They, they didn't have a base. They couldn't make choices on their own. And that's where, that's where she's at. Like, she's in this place. In fact, the one thing she has for her is that she's physically beautiful. And she becomes part of this beauty contest, as we'll see through the scriptures. But it ain't a normal beauty contest. The king brings these young virgins in. They stay the night. He forces himself on them. And that's part of the contest. It, this isn't some innocent little you saw in Sunday school a long time ago where there's a young lady with a, with a crown. No, the very thing that she had going for her, the one thing gets taken from her. Because you see, in that day, in those cultures, in, in, in her culture, if you weren't a virgin, you couldn't be married. So the one thing she had on her side, he just took. Like, like that's pretty powerless, that, that's pretty emptying. Some of you have experienced some things like that, or at least some things like that. You feel pretty powerless in your life because of what people have done or because of the station in life you find yourself, because of your family origin, whatever it might be, you feel like, you feel like Esther. See, we see Esther when you watch the story and you see if you Google her, she's, yeah, she's in the flowing robe with the crown, but that's not most of her existence. Most of her existence is as no one, as invisible, as powerless, as nothing good is going to come out of this life for the most part. And I just wonder if some of you are there today. Yeah, I know how God could use me because of this. And I just don't, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't have anything to offer. Did you know that's exactly who God uses? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is, is Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. That old brother. <laughs> you know. And, and he ends up in jail. And he's, then he's accused. And he's, he's in prison. And yet God raises him up. This person who in essence has nothing and no future. And he raises him up to be the number two in Egypt. And he saves the, his own people from famine. And then there's Gideon. Gideon's this guy that he ought to be, mighty, rule, mighty warrior, I think, is the name God gives him, but he is far from a mighty warrior. He's hiding in a wine vat, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites who come raiding the land. I mean, he's hiding out. That's just the kind of leader you want, isn't it? <laughs> and yet God raises him up and says, you're the one. No power, no strength doesn't feel like he can do anything, and yet God uses him to save the Israelite people from the Midianites. Over and over and over, that's what we see. David, the dirty shepherd boy in the backfield, all the other brothers get noticed for the king, but he's not even on the table. He's not even on the list. And yet God says, isn't there another one? Why does God do that? Why does God do that? Why does he use the esters of the world before they become Esther. 
Because God is about raising your attention to his purposes. God is about glorifying himself so that others are drawn, so that not for a selfish glory, but for a glory that, that moves the world, for a glory that draws people to him so he can save his own people. And he uses people who don't even register on the scale of humanity. And maybe that's where you feel today. Maybe that's not where you feel. Maybe you feel like you got it all together. The Bible says be careful. Because you really don't. See, see, here's what he says in the New Testament through Paul. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He, he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God uses the Esthers before they become Esther. And he's choosing to use you. He wants to use you. Wherever you've come from, wherever you find yourself, whatever you've become, God wants to use you, even if you don't feel like you have anything to offer. See, the book of Esther really isn't about Esther, although she's the hero, right? I would argue there's another hero even greater. We'll get to that. God's the hero. God's the main character of this book. Even though his name's not mentioned in every verse, and every passage, you see the hand of God working it isn't Esther. She don't have anything. It isn't someone else. There are powerful forces arrayed, and yet how does Esther pull off what she pulls off? There's only one answer, and that is the hand of God. See, God uses the weak things. He uses the foolish things. He uses, he uses you and me because then he gets the glory. And when he gets the glory, men and women are drawn to him, and his plan for saving you and me unfold. And we recognize how awesome he really is. That's what God wants to do. So Esther isn't about Esther. It's not about Esther. So, so Esther was an unlikely hero. Shouldn't have happened. Not the, you, you'd try to write it that way, but only God can actually take her from the circumstances where she was into something else. But you know what? There's something else I want you to see. Mordecai was a hero maker. Mordecai was a hero maker, her uncle. In Karate Kid, anybody watch the movie? Pretty cool. Like Daniel's this little guy who keeps getting bullied, right? And these bullies follow him around, they're beating him up. Mr. Miyagi jumps in, takes them all out. Wouldn't you like to be Mr. Miyagi at times? You know, just we're going to solve the problem. And uh, he cleans it up, right? But then Daniel spends time with Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, this master teaches him and goes way beyond just teach him a little bit of karate, teaches him about life. And ultimately, he's able to face the bullies down and those, not just for his own self, but for others. And, and he's able to do it because of Mr. Miyagi. He would have never got there on his own. See, God uses Esther to deliver the people of Israel, but God uses Mordecai to deliver her. <laughs> I want us to see this today. Behind every person God uses in a mighty way is a Mordecai. Behind every person God uses in a mighty way is a Mordecai. So you and I, we can stop taking credit for the great things we're doing in our lives. You know, if I didn't have a guy named Bill Walker, he's, uh, he's my friend at Quest Community Church, he's one of those Mordecais. I've got some people in a gasoline peer group, and they build into me. They're, they're my Mordecais. Paul Jetter, the founding pastor, took me 
And he was a Mordecai. He believed in me when maybe I didn't believe in myself, you know? That, that's what Mordecai's do. And, just, and when we accomplish something, when we think we've done it, you've been built by Mordecai. Look, look what Mordecai does for Esther. It says in verse 7, Mordecai had a cousin named Adassa whom he had brought up because, because she had neither father nor mother. She had no one. Somebody had to step into the vacuum, and he had an opportunity, and he took it. It says Mordecai had taken, my clicker, there it is. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. You see, he adopts Esther. Do you know that without security in your life, without knowing things are stable, you can't thrive? It's just part of the human condition. You cannot thrive. That's why we talked in Family Foundations about the foundation of marriage. You can't thrive if you're in a marriage that is not solid. If, if you're in a family, God has put the framework of family together so that you can thrive. Why did he put... He created the institution of the church and the organism of the church. He created it so that you have a framework for thriving. He created those, and nobody has to feel lonely. And we all have built-in Mordecai's if, if we'll be part and stay in and do the long haul with what God has given us. And so he protects her. He blesses her. He spends time with her. I believe he teaches her character. He teaches her about this God of the Jewish people. And Mordecai spends most of his time in the shadows. Now, it doesn't mean that he never does anything courageous. He stands up. He actually reports something. The king, is the, the king, his enemy, he saves his enemy by reporting that there's a plot on his life. He, he takes courage when he needs to take courage. He, he doesn't just sit around. It's not like he's doing nothing. He's just not like on the marquee. You know what I'm saying? He's doing behind-the-scenes stuff, and he builds into Esther. And Esther then goes to save the Jewish people. And so the question I have for us this morning, I really, God just really struck me with this. Are you a hero maker? Are you a hero maker? Or instead, are you just looking to be the hero? Is it so important that you have position or power or somebody notices you, and yes, we all want to be noticed, and we all need cheerleaders, right? We all need people to encourage us. But has that become so important that we're more focused on that than being a hero maker? I think it's a question all of us have to ask, because here's what I'm going to suggest to you today. It may be that the hero makers have more impact in the world than the heroes. Has anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Anybody? If you haven't read this story, you probably don't know it. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and he had these junior high kids. Can you imagine? And he was trying to corral them. He, he was praying for them daily. He, was, he, he made a commitment. He really felt impressed that he was supposed to lead every one of those young men to the Lord. And he was having really trouble with this guy named Dwight Moody. Dwight was all over the place, and he just couldn't seem to get his, and so one day, he actually went to his workplace, this kid was working, he was stocking shelves at a shoe store or something, and he, he started to tell him about the importance of a relationship with Jesus, how it was going to impact his life now, but his trajectory for eternity, and he really impressed it, and, and this young man got it, and he accepted Jesus Christ, and so Dwight Moody goes on to preach to tens of thousands of people, and many, many lives are changed, because of Edward Kimball. One of the 
people that he led to Christ was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman became this evangelist who preached to untold thousands more. And one of the crowd that he preached to, one of the people he preached to was a guy named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a baseball player, and uh, yet he heard the gospel message. He gave up baseball to begin to share the gospel. He just knew that God was calling him to do that. So he begins to share the gospel. And one day when he's sharing, this guy comes to Christ. Guess what his name is? Mordecai Ham. I wonder if that's a coincidence. Mordecai. He, he found a Mordecai. And so he shares, and Mordecai comes to know Jesus Christ. And so he begins passionately to share about Jesus. And he's in North Carolina one day, and there's a guy named Billy Frank who lives there. And he's like, no way I'm going to hear that guy. Ain't no way. Well, God has his ways. <laughs> uh, we talk about the sovereignty of God. He can move us when, if he wants to move us. He moved. Billy Frank. Billy Frank goes, here's the message. Knows. Knows that his life needs change. Accepts Christ. Begins to follow him. He becomes Billy Graham. Changes his last name. Preached to more people, arguably, than anybody else ever. And I got to thinking... Billy Graham, he's, he is my hero. I, I, I love the impact he's had. He, he's an Esther at that level. But I got to thinking, what would he ever done without Edward Kimball? Like, what would he have done without a Mordecai? And, and was, the, was the greatest hero, the one who had the most impact, Billy Graham? Or was it Edward Kimball? You see, I, I, I ran across this, and it really made me think. You might be able to count the apples on a tree. Look at a tree, 200 up there. You can count them. They're all bright red or green or whatever kind you like, and you can count those 200. But who can count the apples in a seed? Who could have ever imagined what Edward Kimball was doing when he was just doing behind the scenes? in a way that probably nobody saw and nobody thanked <laughs> when he was, was leading this Dwight Moody to the Lord, when he cared enough to do it. Now, this seed, I don't think this is the kind of the plant the seed where you just toss it around indiscriminately. No, this is the kind of plant the seed where you plant it, you nurture it, you fertilize it, you water it, you care for it, you protect it, you, you help it to grow, you develop now, that's the kind of nurturing, that's the kind of seed-throwing we're talking about here. I honestly have begun to realize that maybe it's the Edward Kimballs of the world. It's the Mordecais who, who, who maybe have even greater impact than the Esters. And so today, maybe you say, I'm, I'm not an Esther. I'm not a King David. I'm not a Gideon. Do you know God only needs so many Gideons? He only needs so many Esters. Sometimes he's going to move in that kind of way. But do you know he needs a world full of followers of Christ who are Mordecai's? Because that's how he's going to work most often. And God wants to use your influence to come alongside people in your life and be a Mordecai. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a couple challenges today. I want to give you a couple ways to apply this message. One is you got to go find your Mordecai. It's time for you and I to find your Mordecais. Who are those people that can build into you? Who are those people that can talk to you 
honestly, who you can go to and, and, and you, when you're with them, you just feel like you want to move closer to God. You, 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 want to, you want to be more who God created you to be. Who are those people in your life? What Mordecai was to Esther, you are called to be to someone else. But you're also called to have that in your own life because you and I cannot do life alone. And you will never you will never reach the place God's called you to reach without a Mordecai in your life. Now, people often ask me, how do you find mentors, Andy? How, you, you tell me to get a mentor. You've preached this before and after messages, people come. How do I find that mentor? I always tell people, look for people around you that have the kind of life and the character you want. That, that's a first. You've got to find somebody who's got something. They're, they're like Jesus. You can see that in them. They, they are passionately following you. You've got to find those people. Where are you going to find them? I highly recommend getting into a life group. You say, oh, that's just part of the company line. No, no, no. You see, the reality is when you're with 10 or 12 other people, you're going to find some Mordecais. You're not going to find them. It's hard to find them in 600 people stretched all over the place. But it's 10 to 12 people. That's where I found most of my Mordecais. When I get into smaller gatherings like that, and not only do I grow in the relationship, sometimes the whole group, in a sense, becomes the Mordecai, and sometimes there's that one person that can... Like you can develop an even deeper relationship. You're going to find them there. But here's the deal. If you call somebody and say, hey, I'd like you to be my mentor, most people are like, yeah, I don't really have time. That, that's, that's just the honest, that's the way it goes because they're trying to decide not only do they have time, but I only have so much time. And so now I can only invest in so many people. Who do I invest? So here's what I highly recommend. You find that Mordecai, you find that godly leader, you find that person that you want to become like, and you go to him and say, hey, I, I want to talk to you about, could, could I just take a few minutes of time to talk about this? They'll give you that, and then soak it in, and here's the real secret. Do it, because there's nothing worse than somebody comes to you and says, I want to hear from you, and you share with them, and then they just walk away, and they don't do a thing. You don't get a second audience. Because see, in the New Testament, we read about the parable of Minas. That's about sharing our faith. That's what that parable is all about, right? We all get the same faith, and we're to share that. We're to be productive with that. And the reality is that means use your mind and go with those who are going toward Christ. You can spend a lot of time with a lot of people that aren't moving. They don't do a thing with what you share with them. Time to just move on. You don't have to dismiss them. You don't have to be rude and just go where you're going to make an impact. And so, when, when you soak it in, when you hear them, when you take action, about two or three of those, you're going to find you've got a Mordecai in your life. That's just the way it works. Because when they realize that God is using, see, you're adding value to their life now because you're allowing them to be used by God, and that adds value to their life. See, they're blessed spiritually. Every time God uses you in someone's life, you're blessed as well. It's just the way it works. And so find your Mordecai, and then be a Mordecai. It's time to be a Mordecai. You see, the Bible says encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. And you can't do that separate all over the place. You can't do that by yourself. You've got to have people in your life. So be a Mordecai. Paul writes this in the New Testament. I think, I think this tells us how, how it's supposed to work. It's kind of like the Billy Graham story. He says, Paul writes to Timothy, his, his protege, 
He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust the reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what is he saying? <laughs> He's saying, Paul says, I've had an experience with Jesus, and people built in my life, and now I'm sharing that with you, one and two. And when you get it, I want you to trust it reliable people, and then they'll be qualified to teach others. That's four generations. That's basically the Billy Graham's story. You see, when you are a Mordecai, you're planting seeds, and you have no idea the number of apples that will be produced. But I believe God will not allow that to be wasted. And so I'm going to challenge you today. This is a really specific challenge. There are lots of ways, and, and you don't have to do it this way, but I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to go, to go be a Mordecai, to go be a Mordecai. And I'm going to challenge you to go find a Mordecai. Maybe you're already in a life group and you already have one. Begin to exercise that relationship in an even deeper way. But here's a tool we have. It's only a tool. There are lots of tools, but we have something called the journey study. There should be some cards on your chair. You can just use the connect card. I want everybody to grab a connect card in this card, if you would. Connect cards on the back of the chair. Like, I'm just, I'm in a high challenge mode today. So, hey, you're, you're all good. First, first service, they, they, they took it. I'm, I'm encouraged because I believe you're going to take it. See, we're at this place where God is calling us to step it up, to move on out. Are you ready? Are you ready to take the world? So I want you to fill this journey card out. It's an eight-week study. And you say, well, that's a basic Bible study. There's nothing really significant about that. I mean, I deeper studies. Here's the deal. You can take it as deep as you want to go. See, going deep is more about your commitment to God. It's more about how far will you go. Will you say yes to him? Will you say the next yes? I have a friend who's uh, he's in the Chicago area. He's, he's doing the journey study. I was just talking to him. He said, you know, he said, that thing's changed our church. He's baptizing people. People are coming to the Lord, and they're doing this journey study. It's not just new believers. He said, I'm doing it with Billy. people who have been around the church a long time, but it's built this relationship. It goes way beyond the study. So what does the journey study do? It gives you eight weeks to begin to build that relationship. That's really it's doing that. You're building spiritual truths into people. So you want to make a difference? You want to begin to build those relationships? You've got to have tools to get that started. This is one of those ways. And so maybe you fill this card out and you say, you know what? I'm Esther before she was Esther. Like, I don't have much to offer. I'm not sure what I'd do. I'm not sure how God shaped me. Man, start the journey study. Just write, I want to do the journey study or, or fill out this card. Maybe, maybe you believe that God has now positioned you to make an impact in people's lives. And you've heard Edward Kimball's story and you're like, Man, my life could count for something if I'd be a Mordecai. Like, I want to do that. I want to save people's lives. Maybe you need to just write on this card, fill it out, and say, I want to be a Mordecai. Maybe you need to say that right on your Connect card, just say, I want to be a Mordecai. You know what? I've, I've, really, I've really thought about this a lot, and I think that there are Esthers in life that save a whole people. But I think more often than not, how God works, he works through the Mordecais. And the Mordecais build into other people, and they save people one at a time. And that ripple changes the world. 
And so maybe God wants to work in our area by using a lot of Mordecai's to help people come to know him and begin to take those next steps so that they can become Mordecai's. And together, the whole world has changed. We are living in an age where culture doesn't know what to do. This is, I think it's a good thing. In this sense, they're hungry for truth. I know culture's lambasting this and complaining about that, and they're protesting this, and they're going this way. And they're, going, they're messed. Culture's messed up. I, I'm, all, I'm all there. But they're so messed up. They're trying everything on for size because they don't know the answer. I believe in this day and age, in this moment we live in, if we will be Mordecai's to people, they are more open to the truth in some ways than they've ever been. Because they know that the world they live in, they know that the culture around them is messed up. They just don't know where to go. And you're it. You are it. God doesn't have a plan B. You're it. The church, the bride of Christ, you and me. And so my challenge for you today is, we stand in this moment in time. Will you vote with your energy, with your time, and with all that you are to build into others so that they may know Jesus and so that there may be more apples on trees than we could even imagine? That's what God wants to do. And, and you know what? I think the psalmist has it right. When we do that, it's not about making us famous. Well, the psalmist says it this way. He says, I will make your name famous from now on so that people will praise you forever and ever. See, all that we do is so that God is glorified. He doesn't have a selfish glory. His glory is so that others may know his glory is so that all things perfect may, may be fulfilled and accomplished. And he is the perfect being, the perfect creator, the perfect father. And he wants to be a father to the fatherless. He, he, he wants to free people from oppression and anxiety and, and alcoholism and whatever else might be. He wants his people to know that their value is in him and not in their gender and not in not in their race and not in their position and not in their power but in him and the world is hungry so i challenge you take that step be a mordecai raise up an esther save the world and glorify god it's that simple that's his plan let's pray father you've led us to this moment in time and you know what you want in our lives. Father, would, through your Holy Spirit, would you impress upon each person what you're calling them to do, the step you want them to take? Father, would you put in the, the lives of people here who, who need someone to come alongside and provide that stability, to, to, to provide that security, to, to teach them the ways, your ways, to, to help them, Father, to, to develop so that they can be used by you in the mighty way that you have for them. Would you, would you begin to put people in their lives? Would you begin to open their eyes to who they are? But Father, would you help them to long to be used by you to build into the Esters? Would, would you help them, Father, through the 
through the difficult times? Would, would you help them through the times where they're not sure they're making a difference, like the guy with Dwight Moody? Would you, would you help them, Father, when they're not recognized and not noticed? Would you help them to know that it's your purpose and you're ultimately working through your church to accomplish your mission in this world, to move culture, to change lives, and to fill your kingdom with people who love and serve you and who want to make you famous. Father, would, would you help us be a part of that? Would you help us to take that step? And we ask it in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected to all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend because change lives, change lives.